Welcome to your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am your host, Michael Rand. So much to talk about today. Be joined in a little bit by Chris Hine, our first four-time guest, as he keeps reminding me of. Um, talk some Timberwolves. Second half of their season begins Thursday night after a very disappointing 7-29 and uh, first half of the season. But first, what did I miss? Well, I want to get to uh, we'll get to some games that happened on uh, on Wednesday in a moment because there was some some good some big action that happened uh, on on Wednesday. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the Vikings and their decision to release offensive tackle Riley Reef. Now, on, on one one hand, I get it right. We we've spent a lot of time on this podcast and on the Access Vikings podcast talking about their their salary cap problems. They, they, they you know they've got a lot. They had a lot of work to do to get under the cap. The NFL officially named its cap um, the other day. It was about $15, $16 million less than it was in 2020. So the Vikings, who have kind of you know backloaded or kind of done this pay-as-you-go approach and structured contracts a certain way you know, in past years, now they're going to pay the price for that because this cap is way lower than teams thought. So they have some work to do to get under the cap. So you looked at all the, the contracts they had out there, Riley Reef. You know, was had a big number. He had a big cap number, and it was like, okay, you can see how he becomes a casualty of the salary cap in this era. They cut him. You save about eleven million dollars on the cap. That's a big chunk of change to save. On the other hand, he is one of your most reliable offensive linemen on an offensive line that was below average last year and has been searching for any sort of consistency or any any sort of elevated level of play for you know the last several years now it seems to me that if you're going to take away from something if you're going to have to make some hard decisions about money offensive line isn't the place where you should be cutting offensive line is the place where you should be doing everything you can to keep the players that have been, that have performed at a high level for you and I wouldn't say reef has been great since he signed as a free agent you know before the 2017 season um, but he definitely helped, right? I mean, we saw all the problems they had on offensive line in 2016 when that season fell apart because of that. Then they signed Reef and Mike Remmers to the dueling, you know, five-year contracts. They helped solidify things. I think 2017 was one of the best lines the Vikings have had under Mike Zimmer, you know, during this regime. And again, that's not to say that line was great, but it was better. It was adequate. It was good enough to get them to a 13-3 and record and all the way to the NFC Championship game. So now, now they're minus Reef. So what are they going to do? Well, Good chance that Ezra Cleveland slides over to tackle now. They drafted him in the second round in 2020. Uh, he played his rookie year mostly at guard. You've got Brian O'Neill. Maybe you move him to left tackle. He's been the right tackle uh, with, with Reef here. Then he gets expensive, though, when it's time for an extension for him. So I get it in the, in the standpoint that there's a, a pretty good-sized guard market out there in free agency. It's easier and a little bit less expensive to get a guard than it is to get a tackle, but... Usually when a team has a tackle that they think relatively highly of, and the Vikings have two of them, um, Brian O'Neill, and they I should say they had two of them you know, with Brian O'Neill and Riley Reef. that's a core you can build around and then work on the inside of the line from there. Instead, they've kind of throw this, thrown this into a little bit of a disarray where now they have question marks at all three level, levels of the offensive line, tackle, guard, and center. You might have also missed the Wild finishing off a 2 we say sweep. We call them these sweeps, probably right. When you play these two-game series, um, you know, with these teams this season, the way the when the way the NHL is structured, and I kind of like that. By the way, I kind of hope they keep this uh, going forward. Uh, it just makes some sense from a travel standpoint. But finish off Vegas four to three win 
on uh, on Wednesday night. Got closer than it had to be. Maybe at the end it was four to one. Vegas gets a four on four goal that maybe was a little a little dicey with the call there and almost tie the game. Uh, Alex Tuck had a pretty juicy rebound with about 15 seconds left that that missed the uh, missed a pretty open net. Anyway, though they they win four to three. They they finish off Vegas. It was two nothing on Monday, four to three on Wednesday. And aside from just the wins, the most encouraging thing about this is it's the young guys getting it done again. Kakinen wins his eighth straight start in goal. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, another goal. He has seven now, tying our guy Marcus Foligno, who was on uh, Wednesday's podcast. He was joking that he's going to keep mentioning it to a Kaprizov until Kaprizov catches him. Well, they both have seven now. Uh, sorry, Marcus. Um, and Joel, Joel Eriksson Ek, two goals in that game as well. Uh, one of their most consistent goal scorers all year. So something's, something's going right over there. Something's building there. I don't know exactly what it is yet or to what extent they're going to be able to take this, but uh, I'm impressed by it, and I'm, I'm still I'm starting to think that this is a real contender. Um, I don't know if this year is the year to go all in on it, but uh, it sure feels like uh, they're, they're building something pretty special over there. And finally, Richard Pitino survives to coach at least one more day. Gophers men's basketball wins 51-46 over Northwestern in a game that will not hang in a museum anytime soon. You will not send the video of that to the archives for posterity to show future generations on how basketball should be played. Nevertheless, Gophers survive in advance. They make only 25% of their three-pointers, 5 of 20. Really bad from the free throw line as well, 10 for 24, 41.7%. But they make just enough plays. Down the stretch, Marcus Carr rebounds from a, a really, really rough start, uh, scores a bunch of points down the stretch. The Gophers end the game, I believe, on a 12-0 run after falling behind by seven points late, and you're thinking this one's over. But Thursday, they got to play Ohio State at 1 p.m. Um, that, that could get pretty ugly considering how much the Gophers uh, have struggled lately, how many players they have out. So that figures to be the end of their season. Kind of a matter-of-time thing, but they did at least stave off any decisions about Richard Pitino's future for one day uh, by winning against Northwestern in the Big Ten Tournament on Wednesday. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy right now to welcome in Chris Hine, the first four-time guest on daily delivery this is kind of like saturday night live right didn't they have like yeah, the... one more one more one more and i get my five timers jacket right i'm gonna send you a i should you know what that's gonna be that's <laughs> actually gonna be a thing i'm gonna get you at some point a five timers jacket because you're probably gonna be the first member of the five timers club uh, so i'm gonna get you a five timers jacket and some, i'm gonna have it have it made for you in some fashion <laughs> but uh Chris covers the Timberwolves, of course, for the Star Tribune. He's had a nice little break here, as the Timberwolves did. They both needed it, I think, um, after some some rough patches. I don't know, who, I don't know who needed it more. Yeah, I'm here yeah, you, Cat, Rubio, you all, you guys all needed it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Seven and twenty nine at the break will do that to a, to a beat writer and a team. But they are back at it uh, Thursday. Like I said, seven and twenty nine. We we know the second half schedule is going to be fast and furious. I guess what I want to get to right away is that before the break, Chris Finch, the new head coach, hinted that, you know, okay, we've got this week off now. I've kind of seen what I'm working with here. They're 0-5 under him, but no one really expected him to make sweeping changes right away. I feel like we're going to see some more things from him, 
you know, kind of more of an imprint of what he wants to do coming out of the break. What are some of those things you think we could expect to see, whether it's style, whether it's, you know, who's on the court, what, 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 what might you do if you were him or what do you expect he might do? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I think you're right that, that those first five games were kind of the evaluation for him to get to know the team on a, on a, on a better basis than just watching them on film. So I think now you get, you get the break, you get some practice time in, and this is when he can start to make his mark on the team. I think one of the most notable things that you saw maybe the last two games was Jake Lehman went from, you know, out of the rotation to playing significant minutes. And I think that's indicative of the kind of play that he might be looking for is, is Lehman's a very, you know, he's probably not going to beat a lot of guys on the team one-on-one perhaps, but he's a team oriented player um, works well on both ends of the floor, kind of a, kind of a, a glue guy in that sense, uh, in terms of his you know, ability to cut his ability to play team defense. So I think you're going to see more of, Hey, how are you actually affecting play on, on either end of the floor, as opposed to maybe letting guys, you know, play through some, some rookie issues or, or, or young player kind of issues and, and really kind of get into more of a, accountability what have you what have you shown me kind of mold out there because he hinted at it in the in the loss to charlotte right before the break when they got the, the blow the, the doors blown off um you know that there was going to be kind of a new reality i think was the phrase that he used uh when it came to to this team and i think uh you know that 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 kind of a loss is a good launching point if you're trying to reestablish. uh some norms and culture uh, heading into the second half of the season. Does that kind of get a little bit to some of the stuff Rubio is even saying too, where it's like there, it's hard to learn how to, you know, you're trying to learn, you're trying to play all these young guys, you want them to learn a system, but it's hard to learn a system when you're always losing and you're not necessarily playing the right way. You have to have a certain number of players who now playing the right way is such a subjective thing, but you know, guys who do move the ball, mm-hmm. guys who have been in the league at least for a little while and, and aren't going to be out of position, who are, you know, at least going to be able to kind of keep the ball moving to facilitate to be in the right spot defensively. So is it is it more kind of a function of finding that mix without sacrificing necessarily the the development portion of this, which is that you do want to see what what some of these younger players can do in in a season where you are seven and twenty nine. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, it's kind of a chicken and egg kind of scenario. What comes first, the, the winning breeds the culture or the culture breeds the winning. And I think, I think the Wolves have tried it the last year and a half with, you know, culture trying to come first leading to the winning. And it just, it hasn't worked in that sense. Um, so I, I think you, you need to, you need to get some wins on the board. Uh, just for the overall morale and health of the organization going forward for, for the patience of Carl Anthony Towns to, to show that there's a plan, there's a structure in place going forward here that, you know, it doesn't take having everybody healthy for this team to win. You have to find a way to win when you are down Malik Beasley or D'Angelo Russell. You have to you have to be able to win games in the NBA when you're missing key players. You can't always just use that as an excuse for for going seven and twenty nine because teams deal with absences and injuries all the time. Um, so so I do think you're right, and it'll be interesting to see how he handles some of the young players. Um, one of the things that Rubio said 
during that interview that that stood out to me was you know it's one thing if you're making mistakes and then you correct them and you start making different mistakes but the wolves were making the same mistakes over and over again it seemed to him so are these young players really learning are they are they learning from their mistakes are they ironing out those mistakes and just creating new ones or are they just you know repeating the same errors every night they sit on the floor and i think that'll be something to track uh through the second half of the season you mentioned jake layman that's a good one that was somebody who you know got them off to actually a good start in that charlotte game until everything fell apart i think they were up like 21 11 early in that game when he you know kind of facilitated some good things early on but any other players of that mold you could see getting more run here and conversely whose minutes decrease if if his minutes are suddenly going from zero to something at least at least more meaningful i think you saw that that Jaden mcdaniels minutes took a took a hit um when layman was in the lineup more regularly yeah, but uh, but you, you can move guys around and things like that layman could play the three you could have you know jared vanderbilt there at the four um yeah, finch indicated that he kind of liked uh the way vanderbilt and towns operated with each other he seemed to he seemed like at least early on he seemed to to like that pairing, I thought there was some potential there. So it'll be interesting to see how how Vanderbilt's minutes uh, are affected going forward here. You know how much he plays with Towns, how much he doesn't play with Towns. Um, so yeah, I would I would look at I would look at Jaden McDaniel's, and and we'll we'll again we'll see how it shakes out. And you know, <laughs> nobody nobody on this team has a role that's etched in stone or has minutes outside of Towns and. You know, Russell and Beasley, when they get back, minutes that are etched in stone, everything else is up for grabs on a game to game, a practice to practice basis. So everything is fluid. And like I said, it's 729, but there is still a lot to learn by watching the second half of the season, uh, just in terms of how Chris Finch wants to operate this team moving forward. I want to get to that in a minute. What you just said made me think, does that include Anthony Edwards in terms of minutes that aren't necessarily guaranteed to be where they are do you think or do you think that they keep pushing him out there in that starter role and let him kind of push through those mistakes the number one pick I think it'll be interesting to see how Edwards' style of play changes one thing that Chris Finch said was he wants Edwards to two-thirds of the time to drive the ball to the basket and one-third of the time settling for jumpers right now that mix is probably a little closer to 50-50 um, and, and that's not where they want it to be and you could just see it whenever, whenever Edwards in, I feel, I feel like we're talking about Andrew Wiggins a little bit too, but whenever Edwards oh, makes Chris, up his don't mind, do it. To don't go, do it. You're gonna whenever make Edwards so makes up his mind to go downhill and attack the basket on a regular basis, what happens? Usually good things happen when he settles for a jump shot. What happens? He, he probably misses it. Who does that sound like Mike? Sounds like Andrew Wiggins, Chris. Um, yeah, the, again, we, we don't want to put that label on them. They're different players, yes. and I think it's more of a – I don't I don't sense it's an unwillingness, but it, 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 it does get magnified when he's not making his three-point shot, and that's been the case a lot of these recent yes. games. When he had a nice little stretch there, kind of ending with that Lakers game, it felt like he was making a lot of those shots, and maybe that, you know – that the problem isn't as glaring when you're not – when you're making those shots as opposed to, uh, you know, when you're, when you're taking them but also missing them. What, what is it, though, that we can, you know, there's 36 games left this season, probably 25 to 30 of them, hopefully with D'Angelo Russell healthy and Malik Beasley back from suspension. What, what, do we, what can we learn during those, you know, 
during that stretch, especially if and when they're they're closer to full strength than they've been this season? Yeah, I mean, if they, you know, knock on wood that they that Beasley, Russell, and Towns are able to play a significant amount of time together, what you're gonna what you're gonna look for is is this core is that core a sustainable core? Are they able to actually win games and and put put together strings of solid performances instead of just winning once every four or five games? Um, can they look like that team that that beat Utah in Utah at the start of the season, which seems like ages ago at this point? Um, you know, or are they going to resemble more of the team that we've seen? Just you know, everybody's healthy, and so it just makes it all that much worse when they struggle. That's that's what you got to see. Are those three guys part of the part of the mix going forward? Here we have the trade deadline coming up in two weeks. Um, we're not going to know that answer. Before then, because Beasley still has to sit out nine games, Russell's probably a, at least a, a week or two at the at the earliest from from coming back from his injury. Um, so, we're, we're, the dynamic of the team is probably going to change here in, in another two weeks. And but you have to see what you have heading into the off season as well. I feel like there's a lot of volatility here between the ceiling and the floor. Like it, it involves it involves seeing what they have like we said over these last 25 30 games it involves you know what what they're able to do with at the trade deadline and we'll talk about that here in a minute and also involves the that draft pick that's looming out there where it's you know at this point even if they finish with a with one of the three worst records in the league they'd only have a 40 percent chance of keeping that pick in a deep draft otherwise it would go to Golden State likely is the number four or number five pick uh, in, in like I said in a, in a deep draft like if they feels like if you know keep the pick don't keep the pick make a good trade at the deadline don't make a good trade at the deadline you know get these guys back healthy and, and find some chemistry mm-hmm. between Russell and Towns or get them back and it's not happening like there's a there's a lot that could go right in the next you know six months but there's a lot that could go wrong what if this goes the wrong way, what's what's at stake if they can't show some level of, of improvement here in you know in these last thirty six games this season? Well, I mean, the worst case scenario is you know you you get to the end of the season, Towns, Beasley, Russell have played with each other, and Towns sits back in the seat after the season, talks with his family, says, you know what, I I think I think I've given it my best in Minnesota and he asked for a trade. That's the worst case, you know, that's worst case scenario. Um, is it completely off the table? No, in the NBA, you're, you're never, you're never completely safe from a player's whims and a star player's whims and desires. Um, that's always going to be hovering over you. Um, that's the worst case scenario. I think, I think, I think slightly below that is you're, you're successful um, you, you have maybe a, a mirage of success. Maybe there's success, but it's not sustainable or, you know, you, you, you have high hopes heading into next year. And for whatever reason, this mix is just not the mix going forward. It's, it's just hard to see in the, in the Western conference, like just where the wolves fit in, you know, a, a year from now. 18 months from now, like where, what, where, where are they going in the immediate future? It's, it's hard to see, it's hard to see that right now. Um, and, and we have the trade deadline coming up. We have another off season where Gerson Roses could, could make some moves and we've seen him not be afraid to make, to make radical moves to reshape the roster, but it's just, it's just hard to see how, how the timeline 
of this team being realistic, regular contenders matches up with the timeline of potentially Carl Anthony Towns wanting to go elsewhere. You know, it's just, it's hard to see where those two things are going to, are going to meet in the middle. That's why, you know, I've developed an infatuation with John Collins from the Hawks. I don't know if he's the answer, the savior. It feels like he's a piece that could, that could complement what they try to do here. And it sounds like he's potentially available in a trade and would be a restricted free agent after this season, which they, they seem to like that was part of the appeal of the, the Beasley and Ernan Gomez acquisition last season to you though, what, as they aim towards the trade deadline on March 25th, what, what is What's a realistic thing that they might try to accomplish as the, as that, as that deadline gets closer? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've obviously I've been trying to keep tabs on all the rumors that are floating out there. And, and the thing that, the thing that I come back to with, with Collins is, you know, he's a, he's a very good player and you'll have his restricted free agent rights, but he's still going to demand a large payday um, at the end of the season and, and in the off season. And I'm wondering after you've paid towns and Russell's on the books and Beasley's making a lot of money and, you know, who knows how the salary shakes out with, with Ricky Rubio next year, but that's, that salary slot is still on the books. How does the potential extension or new contract for John Collins fit into the overall long-term plan? And, and I haven't really crunched the numbers on what that, even if it's not a max deal, even if it's just a, a high end contract, how does how does that work exactly? And I'm not sure how it works. That's, and, and you're looking at a lot of money for a team that isn't exactly a proven commodity either. And, and that's what I, that's what I struggle to, that's what I struggle to look at. I, I feel like, I feel like Roses is acquiring all this young talent and we've seen, you know, you know we've seen Nas Reed, we've seen Jaden McDaniels, Jalen Noel, like we've seen these young guys, you know, in stretches play well, and they could be potential trade chips. Like he's he's probably going to cash in on some of these young players that they're developing at some point. I just I just I don't know how the numbers work. I, I'm I'm you know I haven't gone that that far down the road yet. It just it just it's hard for me to see how how you can build a winner um, by adding John Collins here. Maybe I'm wrong. So know. what's what's more realistic then? You feel like they're they're going to do much of anything at all, or you think this is more of a they're going to treat getting Russell and Beasley back as kind of their their trade their trade deadline acquisitions, so to speak, and uh, see if they can no, affect more improvement I, from within. My my spidey senses tell me that a move is coming. That's just my gut feeling, and, and observing this front office is is when there has been substantial smoke in the in the trade rumor the trade mill the market there's usually fire with this group and so i i get the sense that a move is probably coming or, or will be will be attempted uh you know come march 25th here um i don't know i don't know ultimately if one will get pulled off but i i do think that um I don't know how much pressure they're feeling externally because of how poorly this season has gone to make another move to try and, and satiate the fan base to say, Hey, we're still not done, you know, remaking the roster or if that gets punted to the off season, I'm not, I'm not sure. 
I, I would, I, I'm, they're not going to be sitting on their hands for the trade deadline. That, that much is for sure. Last thing for you, you wrote a really nice story on Naz Reed. You just referenced him as, you know, p- possible trade fodder, but you know, he's still here and he, you know, he could be here for a long time because he's on a very team friendly deal and gives them pretty good, uh, you know, production, you know, either as a spot starter or as a, you know, backup big man. Um, tell me a little bit more about that story and just getting to know him off the court a little bit more. Yeah. So um, the story was about Nas and his uh, talent for drawing, specifically pencil drawing and something he loves to do in his, his spare time. And it was inspired by something that he uh, that he picked up in middle school from uh, his, his favorite teacher. Her name is Jan McLaren back at Asbury Park Middle School in New Jersey. Um, I had heard Ryan Saunders talk on a podcast uh, uh, like two summers ago about, about Nas's drawing ability and artistic ability. And I thought, Oh, that's might be an interesting story if I ever get to really chat with him about it. And I had actually chatted with him about it maybe 10 days, two weeks before the pandemic blew up last season. <laughs> I was planning on, on running that story last season. Um, but I always kind of, I kept the interviews. I contacted his teacher that he said had such a big influence on him and, uh, I dusted off those interviews, talked with them again, and you know, wrote the story uh, that appeared in Tuesday's paper. And I come from a family of teachers myself, so I thought it was a pretty cool story about the, the kind of impact that a that a teacher could have on on your life long term. Yeah, I like the story a lot too. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. I was going to mention this earlier, um, unrelated to that story, but part of what you just said uh, today, actually Thursday, is the one year anniversary of the NBA shutting down. March 11th, 2020, kind of crazy to think it's been a whole year, hopefully kind of coming out of that a little bit, but a piece of anything they're going to do this year is also, we got to remember the finances of this team and this league are a lot different than they would be in another, in another normal year where there'd be fans and there'd be other things going on. So, you know, off season, off season moves, in season moves are, are certainly being affected by the, uh, by the pandemic as well. I would think still. 100% as is the potential sale of the franchise, which Glenn Taylor admitted as much last week um, when we chatted with him about, you know, Kevin Garnett's interest or non-interest in buying the team. Um, he said that, you know, the pandemic has held up uh, potential projections of the value of the franchise because fans aren't allowed in the building. So um, it's affected all facets of, of the NBA and, and of this organization for sure. Good stuff, Chris Hine. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you are going to cover more than seven wins in the back half of this season. Um, <laughs> they might even get to 20, 25. We'll see. Oh, uh, wow. That's dare, that's really optimistic. Dare to, dare to dream. I guess 25 would be 500 <laughs> over the back half, so maybe that's a little bit much. Over 20. Yeah. Let's, let's, say, let's say over 20. They're going to win at least 13. So like 13 and, 20, 13 and 23 feels about yeah, right to you? I, I think that, you know, that's probably about what they should have been in the first half. They just really they tumbled in a lot All of games. All those fourth quarter collapses. Yeah, the fourth yeah. quarter collapses, yeah. the coaching change. I think they're better than a 7-29 and 29 team, but uh, – how much better remains to be seen. Good stuff, Chris. We'll catch you down the road when you become a five-time strip. Hey, I want that monogram jacket. I'm getting you that Thank jacket. You. All right, we'll see you yes. later. Good stuff with Chris. And I should mention that after we recorded that, the injury report came out. A couple notable things there. Uh, no, uh, no Jordan McLaughlin uh, Thursday. He's in the COVID protocol, so really only one healthy point guard for the Wolves. That's Ricky Rubio. will be interested to see how they divvy up those minutes. I wonder if we'll see some point ant. I'd be curious to see that. Get him the ball. Get him the ball in his hands if Chris Finch wants to see him shoot less, 
penetrate more, there's a good way, there's a good way to do that. Put the ball in his hands, make him be the primary ball handler in some situations. Also, <clears throat> no Jarrett Culver. He's got a uh, uh, strained toe. Uh, doubtful for this game. Let's finish with the cooler. You know what? Gopher women's basketball team finishes their season on Wednesday. They lose in the Big Ten tournament to Nebraska, 72-61. 8-13 is their record at the end of the year. Now, we've been pretty critical about the men's basketball program this season. I feel like the women's team has flown under the radar a little bit this year, and they've had injuries just like the men's team. They've had uh, had a COVID interruption at the beginning of the year where they weren't able to practice the way they were wanting to, but... I'd still say 8-13 and 13 is a disappointment this year for, for the level of talent we thought they had coming into this season. And this is year three of Lindsey Whalen. I, I feel like their, their, their best days are ahead of them still, and I like what she's done in recruiting. I like some of the players they have coming in. But uh, next year is going to be a year where we really want to see that program take a step forward, uh, especially after this season, um, finishing in a disappointing fashion, I would say. That'll do it for today. I think Friday there'll be some gopher basketball talk. We'll just have to watch and watch and see what happens on Thursday. Kind of leaving that one uh, leaving that one a little bit open, anticipating there could be uh, could be some news. So listen uh, listen again Friday. Thanks for joining me on the Thursday Daily Delivery today. I'm Michael Rand. Download, subscribe, read StarTribune.com. Do all that good stuff that you are doing, and we will catch you again on Friday. Mm-hmm.